volume isn't always the answer. That right there shines a spotlight that it's not a volume issue. There's like something there that's broken. You've got to talk about efficiency. You create like a true learning and development culture. And then when you start doing that, you're like unlocking your talent pool. Do we see a future where that whole early stage in the process is going to be like AI driven? And then the recruiter craftsmanship is going to be much more about the engagement, the selling, the closing, the experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. That's like the three main channels that, that, that you would evaluate. Nowhere on there is internal mobility. Good morning, Ken. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good to see you, Chris. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time out to have a chat today. I'm sure the audience are going to really uh, take value from this discussion. Um, I guess, first of all, we know each other, but it'd be really great to start with a brief intro um, of you and what you're doing. Uh, you're currently at Robinhood, so it'd be great to hear a bit about uh, you and your role there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, um, I've been at Robinhood now for probably uh, going on almost almost two years, uh, it's probably a year and a half right now. Um, I'm one of the the senior talent acquisition leaders on on the team. So you know our our recruiting team now is probably just under a hundred hundred people. Um, and then within the recruiting team, we've got a select handful of uh, senior folks that are comprised of what we call like the talent acquisition leadership team. Uh, so I'm on I'm on that 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 squad. Um, my you know I've been here for a year and a half, and I've I've worn a lot of different hats. Uh, the current the current hat I wear is I oversee our coordination team. Um, and then I operate cross-functionally to be the, the voice of TA when it comes to certain initiatives that we're working with our cross-functional partners, COP, people, partners, et cetera. So I'm very involved in like global processes and et cetera, et cetera, as well. So. Awesome. And, you know, for those that don't know your history, um, you've been in and around talent for over a decade, you know, working with some of the most exciting technology businesses in the world. And, and prior to Robin Hood, you were you know, the co-owner and executive yeah. at uh, Bink, which is one of the Bay Area's you know, premier talent consultancies um, yeah. before before you were acquired by Robinhood. So you've you've been around, you've seen a lot, and you've seen a ton of change when it comes to, you know, talent acquisition and everything that's going on in this world. Um, and one of the things that you're an absolute expert at um, is building high-performance recruiting teams and really teams that can partner with you know, stakeholders and companies through uh, Joe Groves. Um, and that's something that's really hard to do. Um, so you know, how, it'd be really interesting to get a sense of you know, how you think about building high-performing recruitment teams in today's world. And yeah. from your perspective, you know, how that's changed over the last decade that you've been in the industry. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you um, I'm glad you brought up my my prior life pre pre Robin Hood, which was uh, which was helping run run Bank with a couple uh, of uh, of partners who happened to be my my great friends. So, um, you know, it was it was a crazy ride that we had for ten years uh, running running Bank uh, first as an agency and then evolving to an RPO and then more like an advisory practice too as well. Um, so, I mean, I, my my prior life before that it was uh, I was an attorney. And so when I got into recruiting, it was first legal recruiting. So I, I came from the agency background into uh, into the recruiting role. And so many, as you know, and then as many of the people are probably listening uh, to this who, who've been in the agency world, uh, the agency world uh, is like full desk responsibilities, right? So you you kind of, you got to hunt, you got to kind of, you, you eat what you're able to like hunt down, right? So it's a very different culture than 
what I started experiencing in the um, in the in-house world now that I'm in-house, but I also had a lot of friends that were operating in-house and trying to like compare and contrast the two. Um, it feels like 10 years ago, there's a huge divide between agency approach and uh, an in-house approach. And I bet you that divide was even wider 15 to 15 to 20 years ago. Um, what I've seen is um, there's more, more of a merger that's happening a little bit in terms of like uh, recruiting and performance expectations and the things that you build um, as a recruiting leader to help uh, feel and support the individuals in the org to be able to perform up to the expectations that are, that are required. Um, so when we were, you know, when we were, when we were building bank, um, we focused in, and we focused a lot on the ability to, um, to find candidates and then to basically get them through the, the process with velocity to deliver uh, uh, the hires that our clients were hungry for. And in many ways, when you're in that environment, um, you're able you're able to be just focused on that aspect of what you are doing. Um, what I've realized uh, now now living it firsthand is um, when you're when you're in house at a company, um, there are so many other responsibilities that the TA org has to carry, both at the leadership level and the uh, even the individual c- contributor level, because now you're embedded in your matrix across so many different cross-functional partners and change management components that's happening. Um, sometimes it's, it's hard to focus on performance because you're, you're, you're looking left and right up and down because you've got so many other responsibilities on your plate. Right. Um, so, um, one thing that we, we focused a lot on Bink was, uh, cause m- most recruiting works, you're going to measure standard pastor rates, right? Everyone thinks about like pastor rates from, uh, from the waterfall down. Like, what are you getting from your recruiter screen to phone screen, phone screen onsite, onsite to offer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but not a lot of hot, lot of organizations think about it from the context of the, um, the pastor rates relative to the bookends, meaning like what is, what is, how many candidates does it take uh, for you to recruit a screen to then bottom out to the hire, right? That's like the efficiency metric and everything in between you can kind of play around with a little bit, right? So, um, to your question about how we we want to start approaching it within within um, our company at Robinhood is, and this ties to kind of what I was saying about like um, volume isn't always the answer sometimes, right? Because if you're if you're trying to build a high high performing uh, recruiting organization, uh, you've got to talk, talk about efficiency. So like there is a narrative about understanding what is the bookend of your conversions. And then really diagnosing and dissecting what is uh, what is contributing to um, solid bookend pastor rates, or what's like making it too too long, so that you have a very inefficient process. And sometimes the efficiencies come down to uh, things as simple as what percent of time is your recruiting org able to spend in a given week relative to the actual performance of uh, engaging with candidates and moving through the process versus other stuff that's on their plate as well, right? So there's there's a lot of things to play around with that we're just like starting to unpack right now within uh, within our company. Yeah, it's super interesting because you know sometimes the the recruiting role can actually be doing too much volume for the business to handle interviews and feedback and candidate experience, and um, that not only doesn't get the end result, but it damages the brand also, um, which has a knock on effect that maybe isn't felt immediately, but yeah, you know, maybe down the line. 
so that's really interesting um have you in that kind of journey of trying to drive efficiency and you know get those bookend numbers i guess what you're trying to do is get you know less candidates needed at the top of the funnel to get higher uh is the ultimate goal right um and if that was one to one high that would be the best result ever i'm not sure that'll ever happen but is there anything yeah, yeah. that you've you've found that is a consistent theme in, in organizations especially high growth technology that stops companies being effective um or, or as efficient as as they'd like to be yeah it's the um it, it's the concept of it, it I'll, I'll break it down to um the average individual contributor recruiter right and when i say average i mean i mean the the individual the masses of individuals that you have within your organization where if they're if their if their behavior is um, if they learn the recruiting art form, right? Uh, because when you first get into recruiting, um, it's 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 a brand new thing, and you may you may be coached by by volume, uh, numbers, 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 because that that's kind of pulled from like the sales world, right? Um, but if you start early with uh, with someone who's entering the the profession, and really focus on um, them helping embrace the concept of like quality. And when I say quality, I mean, not, not just measuring like how many outbounds you did a week, not just measuring how many, um, you know, how many candidates you have active, but truly measuring, um, the efficiency of start to end and, and measuring that it changes the narrative with how that recruiter is going to conduct their day-to-day workload. And it's going to change the narrative with how you partner with your clients as well, um, I can vividly remember many, many times during our days running, running big where, um, you know, Clyde would, would say as well, we need more, we need more volume. We need more volume. We're not making hires. And I'm sure you, you know, this, you know, this narrative, like quite well running, running Talipool. But when you sit down, let's say with a business leader or the founder or uh, someone that's like, you know, influential and you show, you show data that, um, you all have talked to, uh, 80 candidates. And, and I'm using this as like a, an example, right? That's an exaggeration. Um, and we haven't made one offer yet, right? Uh, that right there shines a spotlight that it's not a volume issue. There's like something there that's broken in either the, uh, the, the target candidate profile, the interview process vetting them, or even the cell component of it. Um, most, what, what I've seen through, through the years is... Um, it's very easy, especially when you work in-house at a company and you're representing, um, you're representing uh, like a like a high, highly visible uh, company that you're working for that a lot of people want to work for, right? So in in those types of environments where where um, uh, where talent is coming to you and knocking on your door to want to work there, um, it's very easy for the recruiting org and the average recruiter to get uh, to get buried in that in that volume and start just just kind of like operating like a machine and just like getting people from point A to point B to point C, but really not, not, not seeing the bookends of what they're trying to achieve through, through that process. Uh, and that's when that's, I've seen when that happens, there's, um, there's a mismatch of expectations between what the TA organization is trying to deliver versus what the expectations of, uh, the, the business that we're serving is, is trying to, uh, try to receive on, on that end. Talentful provides flexible recruiting solutions to the world's most ambitious companies. Are you thinking about ways to add flexibility to your talent function? With recent market volatility and hiring set to return to growth mode in the near future, 
there's never been a better time to choose the right partner to help you scale. Talentful's embedded sourcing, recruiting, coordination, and talent advisory services have been trusted by the world's leading brands. Companies such as Atlassian, Microsoft, Expedia, Pinterest, Waymo, and more. Whether you're hiring across engineering, go-to-market, or GNA, Talentful has got you covered. To find out how Talentful can help you, visit talentful.com. Absolutely. I mean, I've definitely seen that before where you're in a really high profile, prestigious business that's getting a ton of inbound. But when you actually compare, like you said, the bookends and the efficiency from inbound applications versus source, it's miles apart. And actually the business would be much better off focusing their energy and time on source candidates because it's going to generate, you know, X times more better results. Um, but there's also then the challenge of the candidate experience of those people that are coming towards you and that, and, and what you do to solve for that. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and I guess, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is people coming from agency and, and you know, having that agency experience, um, is maybe on one end of the spectrum in terms of how performance is driven and really about numbers and quite harsh and, um, yeah. you know, pretty brutal in terms of how that's managed. Um, but finding some kind of middle ground internally where you're still driving performance and numbers and metrics matter, but maybe in a more um, interesting and valuable way they're used. Um, how do you go about, you know, balancing that line on just setting expectations across the recruiting organization um, without you feeling like kind of meaningless KPIs? Because um, I think there's sometimes the the notion that if you ever if you implement any form of KPI internally, it's like oh we're just like a recruit we're like a recruitment agency. When actually KPIs are incredibly useful and can help recruiters become better and become more strategic. How how do you how do you go about that? Yeah, we've got um, you know we have uh, we have um, offer offer extend um, KPIs for obviously uh, folks in our organization that are uh, that are sourcers. And then we also have um, offer accept KPIs for uh, for recruiters within our organization, and these numbers were not um, just like kind of like uh, just kind of like made up where we think oh this is reasonable. Uh, these numbers are actually directly correlated to um, our capacity model within our organization uh, to then uh, determine you know what what we um, as an organization should be in terms of size and shape in order to uh, hit the volume of hires over a certain period of time that our, that our business leaders need across all different functions, right? Um, so that to us is kind of like table stakes, right? And we know that there's, we know that there's like nuances, et cetera, relative to those table stakes, but it's, it's critical as like talent acquisition leaders, uh, even down to the managers and even down to quote unquote people that are leads, that everybody knows what their um, offer extend and or offer accept KPIs are. Um, and it's going to be the responsibility of um, those different pockets to help support and coach their team uh, through uh, the achievement of that. What's what, what's interesting about when you set a KPI, um, sometimes it's too late, but when you catch it, if someone's exceeding or not exceeding, you're kind of like too late. Right in, in 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 the whole process, it's almost like the equivalent of I always kind of equated to, um, you know, if you look at a telescope, right, and you you see a star that's like millions of miles away, what you see was like what the star looked like millions of years ago, right? 
So when you're looking at a, at a scoreboard and a data sheet and someone's like doing X, Y, Z, um, that, that's the result of activity that they're doing probably months ago uh, or not doing months ago. Um, and so uh, the other side of the fence is going to be how do you catch that? How do you catch that sooner? And I think a lot of people have different methodologies. Uh, I'm a fan of looking number of active candidates. Um, I think it's important for um, uh, to be able to, to evaluate and look at a recruiter's pipeline and be able to kind of see the number of candidates they have and the distribution they have of those candidates at different stages in the funnel. Because if you can kind of like create a mass with that and believe that um, it's kind of moving through, then you'll be able to catch whether or not they're hitting their uh, their bottom line KPI sooner than they just kind of like looking at it. Because by the time you you catch it at the tail end, and if they're not meeting expectations, it's going to take another month or two, maybe even three months to even like rebuild it to, uh, to like getting back to where you need it to be. Yeah. That's really interesting. I love that analogy as well. Um, yeah. If you know your conversion, average conversion rates and offer acceptance rates, if there's a certain amount of active candidates of, you know, um, on deck per week, then you have a pretty high likelihood that you're going to get results. Yeah. So th that makes total sense. Uh, and you know, you've seen you know, lots of different talent functions. You've hired hundreds of recruiters, um, you know, um, over the last decade and, um, and seen those shifts. What do you think separates the, the best recruiting organizations from you know, average ones? Um, what do you think really differentiates? Oh, wow. Um, Think about it. So there's, I would have said historically things like um, culture, um, team support, like think th those types of concepts. But I feel like a lot of those things, especially with um, highly visible recruiting company, I mean highly visible companies with uh, with talent acquisition departments uh, that have a good reputation, those those are kind of like table stakes now, right? Um, so the ones that I've, uh, I've observed that, um, that stand out in my mind are the ones that, um, they, they take a lot of pride in the recruiting craft. And what I, what I mean by that is, and again, I'll compare, I'll compare and contrast, um, uh, what you learn at an agency when you start off. And then maybe if you uh, start off in recruiting and you go to a company with already like a very highly visible, attractive brand. Right, um, the craft of recruiting because recruiting by nature, if you if you look at the definition of recruiting, your job is to share a compelling value proposition to the target candidate that you are trying to recruit for. Uh, your job is to create a compelling personal experience through the process that is almost a, a sell at each point of the way while providing as much objectivity as possible. And then your job is to help coach and advise the candidate as they get toward the tail end about the opportunities and to weigh the pros and cons. Like that's like the craft of recruiting, right? Um, whereas in some environments, the ones that I've, I've observed, um, at some companies, uh, who can kind of get away with it, um, they can adopt more of a transactional approach and still be okay with their results because people want to work there right and so the ones that um the ones that have a highly visible brand that people want to work for and uh are like really take a lot of pride in, in the craftsmanship and the art of the recruiting alcohol recruiting game um 
those kind of stand out. That's almost like that's almost like the the double double headed dragon. If you can provide that experience, because now you're uh, you're recruiting craftsmanship at art, and is really really stands out, and the people want to work there too as well. Yeah, I guess that's why. And in my experience, sometimes people that come from you know, recruiting organizations that are huge, really well-known brands, um, like you know, the fan companies, um, you have to be really careful when you're interviewing those people. There's obviously some really great people at those organizations, but you can become complacent in that recruiting Correct. craft in those companies because um, you know they pay really, really well. Their comp package is really, really um, high in terms of percentile of the market, and they have a great brand that everyone wants to work with. So. As a recruiter, you don't maybe have to do as much of that you know, convincing and, and storytelling and, um, and negotiating as you would do in a, a more unknown uh, business. So um, that's one of those things out there that I, I think big brand names don't necessarily equal um, you know, competence uh, all the time in, yeah. in recruiting. Um, and I guess, you know, for you, where do you think you know, recruiting's been accelerating at such a fast pace in the last year of 10 to 10, 10, five years, things are changing all the time, whether it's technology, the ways that we're working, um, you know, the tools, um, where do you think the next big innovation is going to come from? Um, and, and how do you think that's going to change, um, you know, a leader's job in a recruitment capacity or how can they leverage that, that innovation? Yeah. You know, I was, um, I was l lucky enough to have been um, able to attend uh, the LinkedIn Talent Connect conference uh, last week, um, and it's I've gone to those for a few years now, and obviously COVID stopped it. And I'm, I always enjoy going to those because there's always like some element where you leave and you walk away from about like in industry trends, etc. Um, you know, years ago, uh, AI and tools were were pretty big. Um, uh, obviously, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how that was kind of making making its way into into our space. Um, this year, those topics were there, but I was uh, it was interesting. There was less about AI and tools, and uh, the 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 topics that seemed to be like the big headlines was uh, was future work, not surprisingly, right? Um, and and the concept of um, internal mobility uh, as well. Um, that was a, that was a very big, big topic, the concept of internal mobility and how companies need to uh, think about their, not only um, the the pool of talent that's out there to kind of bring in, but the pool of talent that they they currently have as well and how to create like uh, career mobility opportunities for, for those folks. Um, so to, to answer your question and to kind of piece it together, um, we are in an interesting time right now, I think with the, the way the market is. And, you know, tech companies getting, I guess, back to, it's almost kind of like a state of reset is kind of the best way to describe it, right? The days of, the days of like growing super fast and, and, and then getting your headcount to be like XYZ way larger than it, it needs to be in order to deliver like the, the basic principles of whatever product or future that your, your company is, 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 is core, uh, in delivering in the market, um, the market is showing that those days are, are are behind us right now, right? Some companies, some companies are ahead of the curve in doing that, and other companies are kind of going to catch catch up. Which, you know, I I believe twenty twenty three we're going to be like uh, it's going to feel like a ping pong ball uh, uh, at the at the bottom uh, throughout the calendar year, um, and so the trend um, 
to your question about like the next few years, um, even though there'll be like more of a supply of talent in the market for these companies, um, in talking to other like talent leaders I know in, in, in my community, there is this thread about like the concept of internal mobility and what people can kind of be doing to retain their talent. Because the reality is um, when you think of a pipeline of hires that comes through a set of job recs, right? Yeah, the distribution has historically been sourced candidates, referrals, and applicants inbound, right? That's like the three main channels that, that, that you would evaluate. Nowhere on there is internal mobility. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a fourth category where where companies set that as being a target, which many companies I think already do, but actually be more pronounced within the TA org. Most TA orgs don't 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 associate internal mobility as being a pipeline that they tar they took they put like a percent higher target for the calendar year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. I think that'll be one. Um, and then the AI side, uh, I can I can add to this, but I was talking to a buddy, and then um, I've been following a little bit. I'm starting to follow the con- uh, if you're following um, the uh, the the Gen AI movement, which is like generative uh, artificial intelligence, right? And um, you know, AI for us at this stage within recruiting and other industries, it's it's more like machine learning recommendation relevance matching, right? Um, but this generative AI stuff is actually pretty interesting because you're starting to see like companies that are building uh, platforms where um, other businesses can kind of like use those platforms and, and create like verticals on top. And there's companies that are trying to adopt generative AI, especially in the sales and marketing role to like generate content. And it's kind of got me wondering like, what is what is the opportunity for generative AI within the recruiting ecosystem? Because when you think of our our funnel, right, our, our the way the way recruiting works, especially on the the outbound side, um, what what are the points that talent acquisition has to like generate content through our our steps and process? It's the outbound email, and and so and there's tools now that help with the sequencing of outbound emails, right? But the 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 content that's being loaded in those. Still done by you know human beings, so I'm wondering like, is there a is that going to make its way into our space? But we're so far behind the way like sales and marketing thinks about um, uh, the the funnel. Uh, like recruiting is like you know there's a huge gap in terms of how uh, about the methodology and science that we adopt relative to sales and marketing. So just kind of wonder is that is do we see a future where that whole early stage in the process is going to be like AI driven? And then the recruiter craftsmanship is going to be much more about um, the engagement, the selling, the closing, the experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to imagine, like, just knowing what we know about sourcing and, you know, the repetitiveness and just how it can be sequenced and automated. And like you said, if there was something that could create those, like, really high quality content along the way, um, you could effectively really replace the sourcing um, element or at okay. least a large a large part of that so that's got to be the next step i think it'll be really hard to replace the craftsmanship as you're talking about and the relationship building but there's no reason the technology can't replace that sourcing part so i think that's in my mind has to be the next big thing that that changes in in recruiting and i think a lot of recruiters might be happy about that too <laughs> to be honest um yeah uh, yeah to, yeah, to, yeah. To, to be freed up to do, you know, the work they probably enjoy the most, and that's the people element. Um, 
and, and selling and building those relationships. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's that, looking forward to keeping um, keeping our finger on the pulse there. And I know you guys um, at Robinhood are working on some really exciting things, whether it's like early stage talent and how you're building that um, in the recruiting org or, or other things that you're doing. You know, what would you say is the most exciting or impactful thing you know, your team is working on right now? Ooh. Um, so we're in a, we're in the, we're in the planning process stage right now for 2023, right? So we're, we're working, uh, within, within TA and then with our key cross-functional partners so that we have a, um, like a unified roadmap for 2023. Um, and that's the stuff on there is probably no different than what you would see with, with any other companies where, you know, efficiency processes, tools, you know, all, all those sorts of things. And then, you know, making sure that you, you, you establish like a certain hiring bar, et cetera. Um, uh, I talked about this earlier, but the project that I'm actually really interested in that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm helping out with, um, is, uh, is the concept of internal, uh, career mobility. And then also, uh, like I'm very, I'm very passionate about that. And the reason I'm passionate about that is because, um, even though right now within within the industry there seems to be there's like an excess supply of talent uh, for companies because of what's what's happened, um, I think we'll get back to a state where uh, companies will still feel uh, pinched for talent supply in in the market. Um, I mean, the truth of the matter is, technology companies just grow at an exponential pace, right? It's so much faster than than how. Um, our educational system and like everything just like pumps out talent for people with their requisite skills. So there's always the gap is going to continue to continue to form. And so the idea of the idea of a company and I'm passionate about this within Robert and I'm trying to like, you know, sell this idea and vision. So, uh, but the idea of a, of, of a company, not only being a place for people to, to go and work, but imagine if a company like embraced the idea of like being a university too, as well to like help individuals, not only like go there and you contribute, but you can really develop skills, not only in what you're doing, but like in other facets, um, you create like a true learning and development culture. And then when you start doing that, you're like unlocking your talent pool because the cost to acquire new talent, uh, there's, I mean, I don't know the math of this, but I would imagine the, the cost to acquire and find new talent, train them, et cetera, et cetera. Is is a lot higher than the cost to create a culture where you can you you can just like nurture the talent you have and then move them around. That's such an awesome idea. It solves so many issues, and also creates a much better experience for the the employees. I mean, and I think companies, specifically in high growth, tend to have a leaning towards you know hiring people with potential and aptitude and uh, the yeah. right behaviors. And so once you've got those people and you know this is a Robin Hood person or this is a talentful person or this is a google person if that person shows an interest somewhere else then most likely they're going to be successful given the right tools um so i think that's an awesome idea it brings up lots of questions in my head around the l and d function and how robust yeah. that would have to be and how interesting that could be made uh, but it's super exciting um can i would love to chat to you about this forever and you've just sparked <laughs> off loads of ideas loads of ideas in my own my own mind um that was really really awesome thanks for sp uh, spending the time and i'm sure we'll uh see each other in maybe another podcast recording soon yeah cool yeah thanks for uh, thanks for having me chris had fun